Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 616th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today in our podcast, we have someone who brings new life to gardens. We're talking with Tara Nolan about revamping raised bed designs. Tara is a co-founder of the award-winning gardening website, Savvy Gardener. As a freelance writer and editor, her work has appeared in The Globe and Mail, The Toronto Star, CBC Life and Garden Making, among others. Tara's latest book, Gardening Your Front Yard, Projects and Ideas for Big and Small Spaces, was published in March of 2020. Her first book, the best-selling Raised Bed Revolution, Build It, Fill It, Plant It, Garden Anywhere came out in 2016. Welcome to the show today, Tara. Are you ready to rock? I am ready. <laughs> awesome. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Absolutely. Well, I kind of started on the journalism side of things, but as I was able to sort of marry my passion for gardening with that, you know, that's sort of where I've been focused the last several years now. And certainly writing the books opened me up to um, also giving talks about gardening. So that's been, you know, really fun and fulfilling being able to teach people about gardening and, you know, some of the techniques and projects and ideas that, that I've had. And I've volunteered at my local botanical garden. I've lived in my current house about 10 years. So when I moved here, I tried to, you know, get involved a little bit with the community as well. And there's just such a, a wonderful community of gardeners where I live. So yeah, that's sort of what's brought me here. And of course, having Savvy Gardening and two amazing business partners on that, you know, as it always sort of inspires me and teaches me and, you know, propels me forward. How did Savvy, because Savvy Gardening has been around for a while. How did it come to be? Yeah, so we met at, I had already knew Nikki Jabour. She lives on the East Coast. I'm in Southern Ontario here in Canada. And Nikki already knew Jessica Walliser who is in the Pittsburgh area. And we just kind of bonded at this garden writing conference and kind of really lightly talked about, oh, it'd be really cool to work on something together. And then we went home and kind of forgot about it. But in the fall, we kind of restarted that conversation and we're like, do we have something? Do we want to do this? And, and we did. And we really put our 
put our work into it and started brainstorming and figuring out what savvy gardening would become. And, and then we launched the following spring. So we've kind of been full steam ahead ever since. And, and it's really wonderful being able to work on it with other people because, you know, I'm a freelancer and I work at home. So having business partners that we can regularly chat with and, and bounce ideas and everything on, on Zoom and Skype, you know, we have regular calls. Uh, that's really a great way to work, I think. So, yeah. Wow, how cool is that? And wh- you said it opened the following spring. What spring was that? That was 20, I believe it was 2015. Wow. So you've been yeah. doing this a while. We have. And it's a pretty active website. You guys, looks like you do a lot of work there. It is. It's very robust as far as the content goes. And, you know, we get a lot of page views. We have a, a readership from around the world, which is really cool. And, you know, active on social media. So, yeah, we, we have a lot of fun with it. And I think the benefit is that, you know, there are the three of us. So we're all able to tackle different areas as well and, and really focus on, you know, the different aspects of the website and running it. And you're not just talking about edibles then either, because I'm, I'm looking at your latest posts how to care for hostas in pots. Yes. So we, we all have kind of, we all grow vegetables and we all grow food and have raised beds, but we all kind of have our niches as well. And so I really love the ornamental side of things too. So I love talking about, you know, ornamental, putting all your ornamental pots together, but maybe sneaking some food in too. You know, I've got a huge perennial garden out front and I'm always trying to expand my garden. So you know, it's really nice that we all have, we all come at it from different areas. So I think that's what kind of makes the site really successful as well, because we all, you know, are really interested in different areas. And gar- so gardening's your hobby, but your profession is writing. Yes, uh, exactly. And it was really kind of fortuitous to be able to, to bring those two things together. I really, once I kind of honed in on that, you know, idea that I really wanted to focus writing on what I was passionate about, that was uh, a really good step forward for me. So how did you, let's think back in your life, because you, you sound on the younger side, and how... <laughs> I think I sound younger than I am. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Well, typically, typically younger people don't get into gardening. How'd that happen? And I, 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 let me let me jump in here. If I, I apologize to anybody out there that's listening, that's younger, and you're in gardening, that there's no offense meant. I just generally the people that I talk to are are older, like me, that are into gardening. So and you're and you're absolutely right. I think with a lot of that, I think I mean it's been wonderful to see, especially throughout the past year or so, all the younger people really getting into gardening. For me, I think I've always had this sort of affinity for it. I remember sort of one of my earliest memories. I mean, I, I loved. I kind of, I kind of sort of helped my mom in the garden. I wasn't really, I think I liked, you know, deadheading the petunias and things like that. I wasn't super hands in the dirt. But when I was in university, I remember being home one Easter weekend one year because I had exams and I wasn't able to go home for the long weekend. And I remember at one point just needing a break and going out back. And of course, I was in a student house. The gardens hadn't really been cared for in a really long time. And I just went out and started pulling stuff out and I uncovered <laughs> these little tiny daffodils just trying to make their way through all the all the debris that was there because the garden had been unloved for so long and that's sort of my earliest memory of just wow. really wanting to get out there and garden and then once I even renting some of my first homes I always had a few pots or a little patch of the back garden when I was in rentals and then when I got my first home I inherited this beautiful perennial garden and had been so well cared for by the previous owner really 
interesting plants sculpted kind of in this wavy pattern all around the whole backyard and so I had this really great framework to build on and then I just kind of went from there and that's where I think everything was really jump-started I would say. So it was magically just kind of there as a flavor in your life all along. Mm -hmm. I think I would say so and just this sort of yeah this sort of need to be outside and and to do something and <laughs> be industrious in, in, in the garden and turn it into something. Yeah. Wow. And so you recently wrote a book and it came out during COVID, interestingly enough. Tell me. <laughs> it sure did. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about, well, and that was a perfect time for it. Cause one of the things that I noticed about our business is that it exploded last year. Absolutely. I mean, Savvy Gardening exploded traffic wise as well. And then the book came out kind of the week everything got shut down here. <laughs> right. So, you know, a lot of my talks were canceled, but it was great because I was still able to, you know, get a bit of press, you know, things were recorded online or written about online or for newspapers and magazines. So, you know, I still benefited from, you know, the book coming out and it being, you know, publicized. So that was, that was really lovely. And, and this year, you know, kind of, you know, there was a few articles too, which was nice that I kind of continued that momentum that had been, kind of started but a bit stalled because of the pandemic so this past spring you know I've, I've been doing a lot of promoting the book as well so well, tell us been, about uh, the book it's been great well I I kind of set out to sort of just provide ideas and inspiration to reimagine that front yard and sort of shift that traditional focus of just a pristine perfect lawn and maybe a small foundation planting and think about the possibilities of what you could transform it into. So, um, you know, it doesn't mean necessarily getting rid of all of your grass, but maybe expanding your garden, maybe having a seating area so you can enjoy the front yard garden. And certainly, you know, when you're able, like depending on where you live, to have that social area that you could, you know, sit in the garden and enjoy you know, consider maybe growing food in your front yard, consider, you know, whether you want to maybe have a cutting garden or a meadow or a rain garden and work, you know, with the environment a little bit of your, of the conditions of your property. So it's just really a, a big idea book of, you know, trying to inspire people to kind of branch out and sort of rethink that traditional front yard framework. Nice. Well, and here at the Urban Farm, most of my groceries grow in the front yard. That's awesome. I yeah. love it. <laughs> so I, I've been playing playing in my front yard for a long time. That way people walking by can see it. And, you know, it, it makes for a bigger neighborhood impact, I think. I think so, too. And I think it inspires other people as well. My neighbor, actually, who, you know, I didn't really expect that she would ever do this. But she's her husband's built her sort of this big raised bed structure they've enclosed it with some fencing to keep the squirrels and the deer out you know right in their front yard and I, I'm just so impressed and it, and it looks really good I mean it's a it's a really cool <laughs> structure that they've put together so I, I've been seeing more and more of that over the last few years and so you know that was really you know part of that you know sort of energy you know of, of thinking outside the box was, was poured into the book. So you're writing this book and I'm sure you did research Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh, yes. And, you know, it, it's interesting just talking to different garden designers because that sort of leads you down, you know, to other people. So I, I did have this sort of wide net cast throughout North America, I would say. And even actually, I, I spoke to a couple of people in England because I had the good fortune of going to the Chelsea Flower Show a few years ago. Oh, and so, wow. 
that really inspired me as well because they, you know, they had this whole, one whole installation was about greening Grey Britain, it was called. And so the idea was to kind of unpave paradise and, and you know, try to put gardens in, in places that they weren't traditionally. And so that really inspired me with a couple of projects for the book as well. And I got permission to, you know, to use a couple of them and to chat. And I chatted with these uh, garden designers. So that was just really cool opportunity. And even just all the garden designers that, you know, I was able to touch base with around North America, people that I had maybe met on a trip or I had met through social media even, mm-hmm. and I've never even met in person. I think, you know, there's just such a wonderful community uh, of gardening and, and sharing. It was, it was really fun to, and, and a lot of work <laughs> to put right. together and, and kind of condense it and bring it all together. So nice. And, and in that research, was there a magical moment that you discovered that was like, wow, this is the reason I'm doing what I'm doing? There was a few things. One of the things that I think kind of dawned on me at one point was that I had this thread of environmentalism, you know, kind of running through the book a little bit. You know, I kind of realized that every chapter kind of tied into having this mindfulness for the environment, whether it was planting eco-friendly grasses, whether it was growing your own food or trying to figure out how to divert and filter rainwater so that it doesn't end up in your basement or in the sewer system or in your lakes and streams. So, you know, kind of every step I took when I was coming together, that was sort of eye-opening in a way because I was kind of tackling each chapter separately, but then I realized that there was this thread that sort of tied it all together in a really nice way. And then I managed to you know, kind of work that in as well, once it kind of dawned on me that, yeah, everything kind of connected, even though they were different projects or different sort of angles, they all sort of tied into this eco-friendly mindset. Nice. And tell us about your favorite raised bed projects. There's a few. One of them is, I call it sort of an A-frame or vertical raised bed uh, that we built for my first book. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a good one because it's, sort of challenging that idea that you need to have a piece of property or land to grow food on. Mm-hmm. It's a vertical raised bed. And so it's the each shelf or sort of little pocket of it, it's built out of wood. It's they're not super deep. So you can you can't really grow a big tomato in there, but you can grow lots of greens, you can grow herbs, you can grow edible flowers. So that's one of my favorite projects. And it's actually, we, we photographed it at my sister's down the street. So she had it for a couple of years and then she let me bring it up the street because she lives a few doors down and now it's in my driveway and it's a really good place to, to grow all of my greens and some of my herbs as well. Nice. That's one of the things that I like to get set up is a year round greens growing something so that we can have a salad at any time. It sounds like what that's what this is. Exactly. And even, you know, once it does freeze over, once uh, once the really heavy, you know, frost and snow comes at the end of the season. But I was picking, I think it was Christmas Day, actually, I was snipping little bits of parsley that were still growing in, in one of the one of the little trays. So, uh, you know, that was kind of exciting to be able to pick something in the winter. I do have some, you know, one raised bed where I cover things and I'm able to kind of harvest a little bit throughout the season, like things like kale and hardy greens, but mm-hmm. just to have it growing in plain sight on the driveway and being able to go out there. I think we got a huge snowstorm that evening. So I was, uh, I was just in time, but that was, that was really gratifying. Nice. And so 
for somebody that doesn't want to turn their whole lawn into a vegetable garden, what do you recommend? So I think, you know, it's possible to sneak veggies in. So there's a couple of different things I mentioned in the book. One of them is I had, I have a friend who's a carpenter and he built this really cool live edge raised bed and it's pretty small. So it just fits, you know, usually a couple of maybe a pepper, a tomato, and then I'll put a basil in between. And so, you know, I just have it set in my established perennial garden in my front yard beside a rose of Sharon and among, you know, some of the, the native perennials that I have. And, you know, it looks really nice. It's, it's decorative. You can't even actually see it from the street unless you, you look hard enough. And so, you know, if people are a little reticent to put something in their front yard, you know, you could kind of put something into your established perennial garden. Another is just simply planting among your perennials. So for one of the photographs we took, I went to my mom's front yard garden and I put a tomato in with a really pretty obelisk over top. And she liked that so much and being able to, you know, go out and pick some cherry tomatoes from her front yard that, you know, she's, she's subsequently put it in every year since we, since we photographed it. So, you know, I think that kind of planted the idea in her head as well to, you know, kind of mix in a few edibles in with the ornamentals. The, another thing I do is I add, you know, for edging plants, I have, you know, a little rock garden sort of separation in my one, one front yard garden where I've planted lemon thyme. So it's my border plant, but it's also edible. And, and another one that I can go out and, and pick even, you know, in, unless it's covered in snow, but in the dead of winter. So yeah, I think just being able to kind of sneak stuff into to what's already there. Also, you have the option of containers. I put a lot of herbs into my ornamental containers for the foliage. So instead of getting those, you know, kind of filler plants that are just leaves, I try to pick, you know, a pineapple sage or I'll choose a curly parsley or a creeping rosemary to drape over the sides. So I try to kind of sneak things in that way. Wow, you've gotten really creative. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, I, I always need space for plants too. So I think some of it's out of necessity sometimes because I always end up with way more plants than I have space for. <laughs> right. But, um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's certainly, you know, it's kind of fun to, to then figure out, okay, where is this going to go? <laughs> yeah. My partner, Heidi, uh, has always grown flowers on the front porch and pots. In this past season with COVID, we planted them full of groceries instead. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I yeah. think that's, that's a wonderful use of the space, right? Right. So can we talk about your first book? <laughs> Absolutely. Raised Bed Revolution. I love the title and the subtitle. Build it, fill it, plant it, garden anywhere. So tell me about the book and why do we do raised beds? So when I first moved to this current home that I'm in, I had that sort of, you know, sort of typical veggie garden off to the side of the yard. It was a bit lumpy and misshapen. And so I thought, well, you know, for me, I just wanted to pretty up the area. So really, it was an aesthetic decision when I first started out. And then once the book opportunity came along, and I started researching about the benefits of raised beds, you know, that sort of opened me up to a whole bunch of other, you know, benefits that come from growing in raised bed gardens, especially living in a more northern climate where, you know, our seasons are a little bit shorter. So I started kind of thinking of different ideas for raised beds because it doesn't have to be that typical, you know, three or four feet wide by, you know, six to eight feet long bed. You can have, you know, the smaller raised beds. You can have a vertical garden, like I mentioned. You could have sort of a, a rolling raised bed on wheels if you can just fit it in your driveway. So there's just lots of possibilities that were really fun to explore and which I kind of, I have a, a chapter on growing food in the new book as well. So it's just that 
kind of an expansion of that idea of, of, of growing food absolutely anywhere, provided you have those that sunny space and those hours of sunlight that you need to grow, you know, all the heat levers like tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers. Right. Have you ever played with any of the, like, so there's tower gardens, which are a hydroponic thing. And then there's garden towers, which are dirt based. Have you ever played with any of those? I haven't to be honest, but it's certainly something that I've looked into a little bit. I feel like every year I kind of add a couple more things to my, my collection. So that's, that's probably something that's in my future for sure. Yeah, you and me too. I love I love playing and experimenting with new things all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. So as gardeners, I think we always have little things that kind of go awry, whether it's a pest issue or you know maybe putting something in the wrong space. So when you know I, I'm trying to think, I think one of the main ones for me was that for my first book. I had a four by eight raised bed and I chose a sunny area that hadn't been filled yet. And then I realized, so I live under what's called the Niagara escarpment. So just a couple houses up from me is this sort of mountain <laughs> or wall of, wall of, uh, of rock and trees. So I, everything kind of runs down through my property to the next neighbor, to the next neighbor, to the next neighbor. And so I put my raised bed in an area that gets a little bit of water from the neighbor's property and my raised bed does not dry out as quickly. And so that for me was a real learning experience to really figure out what the conditions are of your placement before putting in a raised bed. So I I did know that it was like the grass got a little spongy after a huge rainstorm in that area in particular, but I wasn't really thinking when I decided to put the raised bed there. So what I probably should have done was put in a bunch of gravel just to kind of let the water filter a little bit better. It's also the raised bed where I demonstrated putting landscape fabric in the bottom. So again, even though it's permeable, the raised bed just drains so much more slowly. So what I do want, and I keep saying this every year, but I end up planting something and then I'm not able to move it, but I would like to move that raised bed just over a little bit towards more towards the front of the side yard. Right now it's towards the back Mm -hmm. and maybe turn that area into a rain garden where the plants can help filter the rain and I don't have to worry about it after a big heavy rainstorm. So that's, that I would say that's one of my, my mishaps. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's how we learn. So what do you consider your biggest success? And is this in the garden or would you say this is in general? I'm going to let you decide that. <laughs> I would say that for me, you know, being having the opportunity to write Raised Bed Revolution was something that I'm just immensely proud of and grateful for the opportunity. And it's really, you know, allowed me to educate a lot of people about the benefits of growing in raised beds, how you know, it, it's something that anyone can do, um, provided they have the right growing conditions. Um, and even, you know, if you don't have the woodworking skills or the handyman, you know, side of you, you know, there's kits, there's lots of other options. I have a whole section, not handy, no problem. So I think that for me, I, that, that, that's just a real shining moment, I would say, um, in my career. And, and it ties into my gardening as well. Yeah. And how did, so you'd never written a book before at that point? I haven't, no. How did it come about that you got that book moving? How did you get a publisher? How did how did that all magically happen? Well, I have to say it did magically happen. It was it was just a very 
wonderful opportunity that came my way actually through one of my business partners who recommended me for the project to my publisher. So, and then, you know, we kind of went through this whole sort of vetting process where I had actually worked, I worked years ago as a magazine editor at both a woodworking magazine and for the website for Canadian Gardening Magazine. So I think those two bits of my background and also being an avid gardener and my the rest of my writing background really kind of came together to show them that I was the right person to write this book. So you had metaphorically been planting seeds all along the way and then that showed up. I guess so. Inadvertently, yes. I mean, I think you know, the hard work that I put in over, you know, so many years and just the relationships that I've made with, you know, different people in the industry definitely um, kind of led me towards that, which, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for. Well, congratulations. Thank you. And I giggle as, as I've read the title and subtitle a couple of times. I giggle. I, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. What drives you? I would say, so there was a point in my career where I really kind of made that decision that I wanted to focus on writing about my passion. One of those, probably the main one is gardening. The other is actually mountain biking, which is completely oh, unrelated. Nice. But, yeah. but I do have the good fortune of writing about that as well and, and interviewing athletes and writing about different destinations to mountain bike and that sort of thing, but, but also gardening. And so, you know, being able to just really focus my thoughts on what I wanted to write about when it came to the pitching process, because as a freelance writer, you're always sort of in, in pitch and idea mode. So, you know, really kind of narrowing in on what I wanted to write about, I think was a big gift to myself and to, and to my career, because it really allowed me to kind of, you know, focus and, and, you know, expand everything into the education part of my job that I do and answering questions and writing articles. And, you know, that's been really gratifying. Nice. Well, congratulations. Thank you. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? So this is really hard because I have so many references right? that I that I go to. And, and also my two business partners, Nikki DeBoer and Jessica Walliser. I mean, they've both written fabulous books, including two that came out, you know, just a few months ago that I'm actively using. But I would say the one, it's kind of, it was kind of a turning point for me too in my gardening mindset, I would say, is the book Animal Vegetable Miracle by mm. Barbara King Solver. Yeah. And, you know, it's a, it's a nonfiction book by one of my favorite fiction writers. And Essentially, she kind of went off the grid for a year with her family. They tried to grow everything or source it locally. And if they couldn't, they just went without. And so that book was a real turning point for me, I would say, just in my own gardening. It really made me want to grow more food. It made me want to preserve more of my food over the winter to enjoy. That was both my husband and I read it and, and really enjoyed it back when it came out. And, you know, that was sort of a a favorite that's remained in my collection, I would say. Nice. And it sounded like you maybe had a second one hanging out there that you wanted to talk about. Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, so there's another one that kind of follows me around and it's this cute little tiny book and it's called The Pruning Answer Book. And I actually don't have, I don't know the author's name of it, but I can provide that to you to share. But that's something that I'm always consulting because I live on a ravine and I also have a lot of trees and shrubs. So, so I'm always trying to figure out what to prune when. <laughs> and what's the name of that book? It's The Pruning Answer Book. The Pruning Answer Book. Wow, that sounds like something I want to catch up with. And that's the reason I asked this question is so that I get new stuff to read all the time. Yeah, it's great to it's great to get recommendations from other 
gardeners right. because I have, I mean, I have a huge bookshelf. I probably should be bringing <laughs> more in, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm always keen to hear what other people are reading as well. And, and I think even with COVID actually, I, a lot of people have been really getting into gardening in my, in my Instagram feed. So I'm always finding these new, new writers, but just from different angles, you know, even just from an, an environmental perspective. So I've really been sort of expanding my my collection and my my reading that way too so it's been wonderful nice thanks for sharing that and what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners so i would say and it's something that i mentioned in in my new book is that if you're looking to tackle a huge project and you know you you know rather than just ripping out your whole front lawn without a plan you know it's a good idea to have a plan in mind, you know, it's also a good idea to start small. So even if you do have a drawing of what you imagine your eventual dream garden to be, don't think you have to tackle it all in one season. Start small, start maybe, excuse me, expanding an, an, an existing garden in your front yard, for example, instead of just ripping out all the rest of the grass and, and starting, because if you don't have anything to go in there right away, you're going to be dealing with a ton of weeds and, and heartache and, and work, you know, so it, it's a good idea to start small just from a logistics perspective, but also just, you know, to kind of ease you into it and not think you have to sort of bite off this massive project all at once. It's okay to, you know, work on a little bit of it this season. And then if you have time, great, tackle the next bit or wait till the following year to do it. Amen to that. Don't pressure yourself. That's sort of the biggest piece of advice is just, you know, kind of take it as uh, in, on your own timeline. <laughs> right. Don't take on too much. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it has been an absolute delight chatting with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Same. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a great conversation. Oh, yes, it has. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Well, you can find my articles and all the gardening articles from my partners, Nikki and Jessica, at SavvyGardening.com. We're also across, you know, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter as Savvy Gardening. Myself, I'm on Instagram at Tara underscore E, uh, where I share all of my gardening adventures. And then I also have a Raised Bed Revolution Facebook page where I share content and ideas or, you know, some of the articles that I've written myself. Excellent. And where can we find your books? My books are available, you know, wherever small bookstores, wherever books are sold. Small bookstores, they're on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Here in Canada, they're at um, Indigo, which is another big bookseller. And they should be, you know, at different booksellers around the world as well. Excellent. And you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Tara. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. 
Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit denalicanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's denalicanning.com forward slash free.